Hi, this is Michael Waits, and welcome back to India Game Changer. Today should be a great one. We are joined by Niraj Saxena. Did I get your name right? That's right, absolutely. Perfect. Managing partner at Xscale and Univision Fund. Niraj, it's great to have you on the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, uh, Michael, and thanks for uh, having me on the show. It could not be more of my pleasure. Before we get into kind of the meat of this conversation, can we just figure out how you got to here? Let's get a little bit of your background. Okay, pretty long journey and a not not very straightforward one. Go for it. So, <laughs> absolutely. So, I started my career in a technology. So, I was building the real deep tech products way back in uh, early 2000, 2001, etc. When I was doing the coding for MP3, what, what we all know, you know, which is a pretty normal thing today. But those days we were writing the encoders and decoders for MP3 and wow. JPEG, the JPG images. Yeah. So we have written, you know, we have done some of the uh, earlier implementations of, of these uh, protocols, you know. Uh, so that was a starting point. I worked in real-time video streaming, uh, you know, way back in 2002 when real-time video streaming was, you know, just a, a word, basically. And then it was, uh, you know, uh, nowhere in the commercial markets. We worked on some of the earliest uh, phones, mobile phones that can support video streaming way back in 2002. So that's that's the beginning of a journey, a, a deep, hardcore technocrat, then, then a lot of technical work. Mm -hmm. uh, then moved on to uh, as a part of my job. I'm really curious about this. In what mm -hmm. context were you involved in writing the codex for MP3, something that we completely take for granted today? But when people started yeah. using the MP3 protocols, as you mentioned, it was like a revelation. Mm -hmm. I mean, in what context were you working on this? So I was working with a company called HCL Technologies, um, and they were working for their end customer, um, I, you know. I don't know, I can take the name, though it's 20 years back, but it, it was a Japanese customer. Sure. Uh, so basically, we are writing Kodak on behalf of one of the leading consumer products companies uh, at, at that point of time. So Panasonic, okay. So <laughs> It's okay, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so for that context only, actually, then I, then I traveled, uh, you know, to the Casper location, uh, where I end up becoming a pro, uh, project manager. I stayed in Tokyo for almost a year at that point of time, uh, you know, while deploying these technologies on the real network of NT2, Docomo, etc. Yeah. Uh, through the mobile phone vendor, because, you know, the project uh, to us was through a mobile phone company and then we're deploying it on the NT2, Docomo, uh, you know, the labs, etc. We were testing and seeing how it's working. Yeah. So uh, at that point of time, I think the next phase of my career start taking shape unknowingly, I would say, where I start developing an interest towards the sales side of things. Because I was sitting with customer, I saw, oh, they have so much of other requirements, basically, you know, why we are not fulfilling them, right? And those kind of conversations have, have started and resulted in, in a kind of new business opportunities. And then that's where, you know, I realized that I have a player for sales, especially the technology sales. People like you. So that's the next phase. And then I decided to come back 
So to India has been spent one year in Japan, one year in US for same customer deploying more or less the similar technology yep. in both of their. But then I decided to come back to India and decided to do my MBA. I did my MBA because you know I decided to build my career or switch my career path towards the sales and strategy. Interesting and stuff like that. So then I did my MBA and joined another company uh, which was SAP, right? So SAP I joined there as uh, you know I was leading there. Uh, go-to-market design for for in the subcontinent and strategy and go-to-market design and then that's where the entire next phase of my career uh, shaped up where I worked on things like you know business development strategy development and stuff like that so I have to ask you this yeah and this happens periodically where, yeah. I'll, where I'll meet somebody or I'll be speaking with somebody and they'll have all this experience and it doesn't feel like they're old enough to have gone through and done all these things <laughs> but I, but here's the thing that it, here's the thing that strikes me because and I want to talk about Xscale mm-hmm. in a second it seems like you've had all these little individual yeah. experiences and almost all of them were purposeful right so you have this tech experience when you're building these codecs for the mp3 thing right and back then that was really important tech it was mobile tech so you're introduced here at the beginning of a wave and you can see it and feel it yeah and then you That's said it. you also did sales you saw the sales thing sales is super powerful you could actually have a killer product and a terrible sales team and you have no product the product doesn't matter and then you go back and get True. your mba and work at a big company doing biz debt i just feel like you know sometimes i talk to investors and i feel like some of them don't have enough experience to understand what it takes to build something from scratch because they don't understand the sales part of it or they don't understand the tech part of it right or they don't understand like just the cold calling and biz dev part of it and yet it almost feels like you've built an entire career just to get to here does that sound fair yeah. like i don't know if it's on purpose or if it's half on purpose but that's what it feels like to no. me. no that's right actually and then i think i I relate to something that steve jobs had said right you can connect dots looking back uh you know uh in the past but you can't uh, kind of you know uh, foresee them when they are coming your way right you start doing the things that that you are passionate about your life doing and then at the back you know and then i'll come in a minute to x scale and the idea behind it right please please so uh so I worked with SAP at that time. I got interested in things like I, I got involved in a bit of due diligence of MNAs, merger and acquisitions. Yep. I had one more interest or have hobby, which was capital markets. Okay. The listed equities, right? I've been an investor in listed equities literally from the first month I started my professional career. That was 2001. I invested my first saving not in a bank account, but in a stock market. Wow. Good for you. Yeah. So, and then, then I wanted to learn always about it. I, I read quite a bit and I've been, a, I would say, proponent of the Warren Buffet style of investing, which is the value investing method, right? Yeah. That's something I, I think, you know, uh, I could able to relate uh, to. Uh, that invest in solid companies, you know, hold on your investment, let it grow. Don't invest in overpriced stocks, stuff like that. So Don't chase things. Stuff like that, right? So... That that's another part that you know uh, one should know before I intended to jump into what is today looks like a X scale right and right. coming out you know from from nowhere. So a lot of people say, oh, from where the X scale came from, but X scale is nothing else but whatever I have done for twenty years of my life. Yeah, it's all coming together of all of those things or skills together, right? By the way, very quickly to wrap up on my my corporate career after. SAP, I joined FIS. FIS is a Fidelity Group company. And uh, 
I was leading initially their Asia Pacific um, strategy and sales operation. Went on to lead their internet global strategy and sales operation for international markets. Right. So I led a billion dollar business for them before quitting and starting Xscale. Right. Yeah. And after capital market, I also did some venturing as an angel investor into the startup investing because you know I realized they both are very similar. The the knowledge or the yeah. the skill set required to invest in them are, are similar. Basically, you need a similar amount of discipline, due diligence, mm-hmm. understanding of the financial concepts to to invest in them, right? Yeah. The stages. So that's all what has happened before X scale. Before X scale. Yeah. But X scale to me seems like the institutionalization of your life, right? In other words. It's like taking all the things you enjoy doing and have done already and have experience in and just putting them all in one box and just going, okay, now we can mix all these things together as well and then give them to others so we can help them. Because one of the questions I always have about accelerators, right? And I'm curious about, and we didn't talk about it yet, but that's kind of, it's part of what you do, right? And, and again, tell me where I'm wrong. Because here's the thing, right? You invest in a company, you accelerate a company, it may not be you. We'll get to that in a second, right? But how do you know when they're mm-hmm. done needing the accelerator part of it? And would you invest in a company that doesn't need to be accelerated themselves because they're already super good at making the corporate connectivity, connecting themselves to other, like all the things that an accelerator teaches them how to do about speed and about planning and, you know, virtual CFO, all this other stuff. When do you know they don't mm-hmm. need it anymore? Okay. No, great question, basically. So it's about grooming someone uh, to take them to a level, but at the same time, Look, it's it's about this, right? When you plant a seed, you put a fence around it, right? You put a fence around it to protect it, right? To to environment. But if you keep that fence for too long, that will also retard the growth of the the tree because a fence have to be taken out at a certain point of time, right? That's a critical point that you know we need to judge that when somebody is self sufficient, and then that comes from experience, Michael. I would say, right? Um, because, you know, I, I groomed a lot of team members, you know, um, when, when they're part of me. So it's about that call that, you know, till when they need that handholding, till what time they need to be, you know, uh, let go and do their own things, right? Now they know it all. They, they understand it. Now they don't, even if they don't know it all, but they know enough that they can try experiment. Even they fail a bit here or there, they make some errors, but they won't be fatal. And in that sense, they can go from here. So basically, it's a judgment call that that we have to take all the time. How long to engage with a company, right? And at what point of time we will tell them that now you are self-sufficient, right? right. And obviously, during this process, we build their teams, etc. Before we decide to do that. You know, remember before we started recording, I told you one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the show was because I was really interested in Xscale and you saw this manifest itself in me not even asking you to explain what Xscale was, just jumping right in because I was so curious. So maybe you can back up and just explain what it is and then we can finish the rest. Sure. Xscale take early B2B SaaS and tech companies, right? right? Correlating back to my experience because more than 20 years I've worked in this domain. I reasonably well understand the journey of building a technology, right? So that's why. Second is that, you know, once we take those B2B SaaS and tech companies, we uh, provide them uh, with the knowledge and then mentoring around the scaling of revenue. Because that's one of the areas many of the great, uh, I think at least startups in this domain, like tech domain struggles, right? Yep. They are mostly founded by the technocrats. They None of them is has a sales experience exactly uh, so they they build great products but they just don't know uh, how to sell it especially b2b space is very different from a b2c space where you can in b2c space you can do some facebook ads some google ads 
try to acquire some customer whatever yeah. is the cac etc but end up acquiring something basically right b2b work does not work like that basically right b2b acquiring the first five customer is is like literally a nightmare for any company why would a company you know trust you with a product that nobody else has tried ever in the market right right uh, they always ask for who else are a customer okay no one thank you i don't want to be your first customer right, <laughs> right. most right. of those right. are the kind of conversations right so b2b sales is very different is very different and very difficult at the same time right and yeah. and that's what we try to help them with this journey that how to build the entire go to market around a b2b uh, saas product right or saas or tech product so that, that's what at xscale we do we infuse a required amount of capital as and when required how do you help these companies that you're mentoring scale in other words let's say you do help them get their first two or three right five is a really ambitious goal for any small company whether they're providing saas services or whether they're selling hardware it doesn't matter getting five customers is hard yeah but let's say you have two or three yeah the first two customers right mm-hmm. or one or two customers there's no real process in place for dealing with the customer itself right in other words i have this killer product but i've never mm-hmm. given it to anybody before and even after i give it to you that's a metaphor right but even after i give you that product I don't know how to interact with you with that product cuz I've never done that before. Do you understand what I mean? So then you want them to keep yeah. using that product, right? Cuz it's SaaS obviously, so not just for the first 6 months, but for the next 6 years or 60 years, whatever it is. But you still have to deal with them as you grow and as you change and as you like how do you mentor them through this process of scale? Because dealing like and if you have one or two customers, you can kind of fake it on the back end and just make it feel like everything has a process but on yeah. the front end it doesn't exactly. how do you get from that to scale so that you can deal with 100 customers not just 5 absolutely that's again a great question so basically you are you are right the first two customers or three customers are always like that because yep. you learn or you build or you refine your product with them right yep. your product may not be fully ready it it get actually refined become market ready with first three customers yep. right yep. so journey with the first three customers is very very different from or even first five customers is very different from it is. five and beyond right and that's what so first few are always acquired through references basically it can be our references because we have you know certain kind of industry connections right and okay. when we tell someone that right so first few customers are normally acquired through very difficult to acquire a cold customer i would say almost right? impossible uh, as your first customer almost impossible a yeah, first customer so. cannot be a cold customer it has to come from uh, some almost, sort of yeah almost right? impossible yeah so so that's that's the first part right now once you have you know so once you define the products with first three or five customers right now the product is more like a market ready product before that it was not a market ready product you right. founders assumed it's market ready but trust me at least you know, it's not 20 30% or more it's not changes go through yeah 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 it's not at all so a lot of changes happen you know in in first 6 to 9 months of of that journey when they work with first you rightly said as first three customers right but now this is the, once they reach that stage that those three customers are now tried it and then they renewed it because it's it's most uh, says right so once right. they renew the your subscription etc then you know you have a product uh, you know that can be taken to a broader market right before that there is no point even taking it to a broader market actually right because you are just not ready you you will miserably fail basically right yep. there's so much of customer complaints and requests that What's your operations won't able to scale up to handle that yeah. right no point in to reach that stage this is the time when the real sales engine design 
comes into picture, right? How to systematically acquire customers, right? Let's say how Microsoft acquire customers, right? They don't acquire customer literally like one by one by one by one. They then that that's working all the time, all the time. You know, you know. On one hand, you are generating leads. On other hand, you are creating awareness. On one hand, you are making customers. You know, consider your products. So you are entering into consideration set, right, yep. of your prospects. At the same time, those who are uh, prospects, you are you are maturing them through the cycles, uh, right, taking them to a journey of you know, where they are talking the contract to you and closing the contract and, and then servicing them. So it's a continuous running engine, right? You just can't do it in, in a piecemeal basis. Otherwise, no. you know, it, it just won't work. Right. right? That's the beauty of a B2B sales engine, right? It has to be done like an engine, right? Uh, you know, it, it's not like, again, a B2C kind of a thing. Again, I, I repeat that or bring no, that contrast. It's super important. You can run, it's super important because in B2C, what can happen is, let's say you are running a Facebook or Google ads. You just put, you know, VX more money and result will start coming because you, you will appear on that many places, you know, that many clicks will happen and that, you know, uh, automatically conversion will happen. So there is right. a postionate, uh, you know, uh, very closely within a week, you can track that I have put this money and this is the conversion, right? So if it's a small value product, you will see the conversion, the input and the output are very closely related, right? Versus in a B2B, where the input and output can be as far as nine months, six months, or even a year, yeah. right? That, that's a B2B sales cycle, right? So the prospect that you have acquired, you know, nine months back will sign the order, you know, uh, nine months later so you can't just drop the ball you have to you know uh, run the full journey and most of the founders lose patience you know because they don't understand this journey and they right. don't know how to keep a customer engaged they say okay there is a prospect he is not i have gone and met him he has not given me order now i don't know what to do right. um, <laughs> shall i stop talking to him right. <laughs> so but he's he said no you know this is too early for me let's say customer said it is too early for me. Now, what, what does it mean? Right. Okay, now let me ping him after six months. You know, this is not how B2B sales is done. You have to keep him engaged throughout the journey. After six months, he will be at the same stage that he will not be ready. Right. So you have to make him ready from here to next six months. That's your job, right? <laughs> so basically, but if you go back to him after six months, saying that you said you were not ready now, are you ready today? He will say, no, no, I'm still not ready. Right. So again, you, you come back. Can I make my favorite yeah. analogy for you? Because this is the way I think about it. Yeah. If yeah. I go out on a date with somebody and then on the first date, I say, will you marry me? They'll just think I'm insane. Yeah. And if they say no, yeah. my job then is over the next six months to 12 months to keep dating them, keep talking to them, keep like, yeah. you know, just what, engage with them somehow. And then a year and a half later, just say, will you marry me and have them go? Yes. Because otherwise, if I just come back a year later or six months later and do the same thing, it's just going to be like, no, it's the same thing in B2B sales, no? 100% same. I think you picked the amazing analogy, Michael. So it's 100% right. So, you know, uh, but most of the founders uh, do this and then a lot of the guys do the same thing, by the way, right? The girl said, no, you know, my job is over. Let me find another girl. Right? <laughs> you don't have to find another girl, basically. You, you should know that, you know, nobody says yes in, in, the, in the first meeting, right? right. So uh, how to engage or how to make it more interesting that, that the person start liking or loving you, be it a girl or be it a company. Exactly. Right. So that's your job, right? So how do you coach them through this, right? Because again, 
You're right. A lot of founders are really great in one domain and they build something in that domain. But the skill set around even some soft skills are really lacking because they've just never had to develop them. That, that's a generalization, but it is true for some founders. How do you coach them through this idea of, you know, this is going to take like nine to 12 months, even if they love what you do, just the mere process of getting sign off internally could take two months. Even if the yeah. first meeting, they love you. Like, how do you walk them through this yeah. process? Like I had a corporate career for 20 something years. So I know what that's like. So do you. How do you coach them through this so, if they haven't experienced it? Yeah, so look, anyone who comes to us, number one, obviously, in a lot of meetings, etc. And we try to tell them that we don't come with a magic wand, right? It's not like we will come today and tomorrow, the, the, the you know, the dollars will start, right. you know, coming through the roof. Right. So that's not going to happen, right? So basically, so one is to orient them that sales is a process. And, and many of them, by the way, if you look at our portfolio companies, right? Go ahead. Most of these guys are very mature guys. I, and I, I give you small trivia, sort of. Tell me. Our average founder age is 40 plus years. Our average founder experience is more than 18 years. You know, of our portfolio companies, most of them are very mature guys, but mostly mature in the technology side. Most of them are technical architects and stuff like that, right? right. So, by the way, they have never done sales, but they have seen sales at least from outside perspective. So they know it's not <laughs> over, easy. Over there, at least like, they appreciate or <laughs> go ahead. So they understand or appreciate the fact at least that the sales is not easy, or at right. least they acknowledge that you know we don't know to do how to do a sales. Look, this requires a set of a, a bit of maturity to acknowledge what you don't know, right? And then that's where I think we found a great fit. And that's where our, our, you know, as I said, our founder experience uh, or the age is slightly on the higher side. It's not intentional. It's, it's by the way, we were not biased that we will not take <laughs> a young founders, etc. Right? Right. There's so, no anti-young so, thing going on just, at your forum. It just happens that way. Can I ask you this, though? If these are all tech experienced guys and gals, right? There's another thing that you have to understand when you're building a company from scratch, right? Because you're not the only one building it. Your idea, sorry if this offends anybody, but I'm just going to keep saying it. One's idea that's operating in stealth is just, to me, silly because you lose a whole bunch of advantages of people actually coming around and supporting you. I'll leave that alone, but you're never building something that nobody else is trying to build at the same time, right? Is that fair? Exactly. So what the tech founders should know if they're in their 40s is that even in their day jobs, when they were like writing code for this and somebody else was writing a similar code for something else, sometimes the worst code won for a bunch of different yeah. other reasons, right? So they can know that too. And they probably have a much better understanding of the Pareto principle as well, right? If I, you know, 20% of my work is going to do 80% of my output. So, you know what I mean? They should understand yeah. all of these things, which means maybe they're not trying to build 100% the best only technology, but just the best technology for this thing. So that then they can move on to sales and iterate faster. Is that fair as well to presume? No, absolutely, yes. So uh, look, what happens is sometimes when they come to, to us, and this is one of the things we we do. I, I won't take the name of this portfolio company, uh, but I tell you what what has happened. You know, uh, it's, it's a on. real incidence, right? No, go and, ahead. So they were building a tech and an, an amazing tech, by the way, right? And they are building it for now close to on when they came to us for close to three years. They were building this tech, right? Oh, wow, that's a long um, time. Yeah, that, that's a long time. And it's by the way, it's a fairly complicated stuff that they were working on, right? So it's not like anyone will take, I think, similar amount of time to reach there. Right, so right, right. I think it's not like they were they were slower than anybody else. So when they came to us, we asked, okay, so that, that's great. And so what's the plan means, you know, from your side, you know? Uh, so they said, and then they have shown me 18 months uh, of roadmap 
the technology roadmap that we want to build this feature, this feature, that feature, that feature, this feature, right? So I said, okay, three years here and one and a half years there. So four and a half years, but by the way, when do you plan to sell? You, you may get retired, you know, because you keep on, there's no end to building the, the features, right? So uh, when do you want to sell? They said, we have not thought about it and that's why we are here. So, <laughs> and that was an amazing conversation, but the whole point is once they came to our fold, we worked with them tell them, look, what you have built is, there's nothing like 100%, right? right. Uh, there's nothing 100% product, basically, right? There are keep on, you can keep in adding features, etc. right? It's a software, it's a technology, right? Exactly. We said, look, a bulk of the thing you have made, the baseline, if you just add 10% of this, then you're ready for X market automatically already, right? Right. Then start selling there. Keep building other things in parallel. So what we did is we developed an 18-month roadmap covering both sides. The sales side and the technology side, right? And when we did it, the sales side roadmap uh, with them, we said, obviously, what features they have to build in first three months. And then, you know, so now their tech development is aligned with the sales plan. So they, they were not two different things, right? And once they, they start doing that, you know, uh, they start going to customers after building certain features because they're ready for a certain market at least, right? If not the entire possible market out there. And then that's where the attraction start coming. I think that that's how it, it, it happens, right? Can you give a little bit of, can you shine a little bit of a light on, right? Give a little bit of insight into, because you said something really interesting, but you said it in passing, right? You said, you know, then we developed this 18 month roadmap. It just doesn't get, yeah. you know, it's not a gift given from the heaven, right? So there's a lot yeah. of work that goes into building that. But can you shine some light on what that process is like? And I'll tell you the part that interests me the most. Yeah. As a founder, mm -hmm. you have a vision in your head for what you want to build and how you want that to serve your potential clients and partners, but also the thing that it excites you to build, right? In other words, in five yeah. years, I want to look out my window and have that thing. And then when you go into an accelerator program and take an investment and then that person's meant to help you. They bring you in for the meeting and go, look, let's do our 18-month plan. And they say, that thing's great, but actually what we want you to do is this thing. Or, do you know what I mean? Because we, we know that that's better and it's close enough to this thing. You should iterate and all this other stuff. And they're like, what is it like when they just say, I don't, I don't want to do that. I want to build this. Thing. Do you know what I mean? As I said, even, it's, even before we take our portfolio company, right? right? we do, I think, enough number of meetings with them. right? It's not only about we liking them or we evaluating them sure they should know what our process looks like as i said right yeah so that's one key part of our you know pre-engagement uh you, you can call it right where we work and we try to orient them see this is a nine to you know the, the, the journey is almost like a one-year journey uh, you right know, with us yeah, uh, yeah. right and these are the things we will try to help you with, stuff like that, right? So normally, I think, you know, when you do the things, and we do obviously things more, I would say, quantitatively, where we say that, you know, that if we are developing go-to-market plan, then what are the things required? So let me take a step back, rather, and then let me tell you what, what is the go-to-market plan, etc. we built with them, right? right? Right. Uh, and how we briefly how we built it, right? Uh, uh, and then that will give you, and then I'll answer this question. That that you know how they get convinced because of because yeah. of that. Yeah. Right? So first thing is you know uh, when we take the full journey, the first step of that journey is to build a go-to-market plan, right? Uh, I'll talk about the other things we, we do just after this, uh, and then how they are all are correlated with with each other. So, but first step, whenever a company comes to our portfolio, is to build a strong go-to-market plan, uh, right? 
and we spend uh, close to four to six six weeks you know just doing that part wow now what go to market plan contains of all right mm-hmm. so what is the outcome of a go to market plan go to market plan outcome is number one they should have a very clear idea that which geographies they are going to target because you know sales product and tech products can go across the geography so which geographies they are trying they will target yep which industries they will target which customer segment they will target which is large mid market or a small right then it comes to what should be their positioning uh, relative to the the other competitors in the market what should be their pricing strategy right at least these five things and finally what should be the channel of sales basically they will do a direct sales in which market and indirect sales in which market uh, that has to be sorted out in the go to market plan right so this is the first step that that we take with any company right this is all i think data driven so when you say that let's say you know we we are finalizing on the geographies right we say after you know you are an india based company the second market let's say we want to go we evaluated that first is the north america is one potential market another potential market is southeast asia another one is europe right now who are the competitors how big is the market and then we source data if we either we need to have that data in house if we don't uh, we acquire that data because there are market agencies doing good work in each of the fields right, right. we acquire that data so we work with a lot of data by the way right to show them see this is the market size this is the number of players this is the positioning and the pricing already so you know so now there is a white space left which we should target it is very then very very scientifically right so when you do it like that i think all the questions are answered by data itself means you know even founder realize oh we were trying to you know crack let's say x industry but that industry has lot of entry barriers because you know the bigger players are already there it is not it may not be the right thing right. because now the do- data shows that that who are the players you know getting yeah. to right regulation is there so once you do it very systematically all the questions get answered during the process so we, it's not like we impose any vision to them it is not in our interest as well right? right we have to jointly come to a conclusion and we always jointly come to a conclusion i think without any fiction at least we have not seen in our entire journey because it's so data driven right yeah that automatically it's, it's become evident to everyone that that what is uh, what is required what should be done i like it are you a principal fund or are you an lpgp fund okay so we initially started with our deploying our proprietary capital that means you know yep. we deployed mostly our own capital but uh, lately what we did is we formed a aif and now we are raising capital there and then deploying capital from that aif so AIF in by the way is the Indian term it's a alternate investment fund Got which it. is uh, which is ask. you know a name for a VC funds yeah so VC funds come under AIF funds in, in in India so so it's a now it's a venture capital fund with the LPGP kind of a structure Got it okay and is there again I just like to get investors point of views I have my own view on this which is pretty public but you've picked a stage of investment as well right so you're just you're very focused you said on B2B SaaS and B2B tech the B2B space is the space you and your team knows the best I'm presuming and that's why you operate there as well that's right but are you focused only for today because of the size of the fund on the earliest stages of investment or would you then later if you could raise a bigger fund 100 million whatever it is 200 million bucks invest in later stages as well or would you like investing in the earliest stages 
as a policy? I would say, look, uh, what will happen in, in days to come uh, is that initially we are focusing on early stage funds. Even if we raise a bigger fund, right, we will use it mostly to double down on our earlier bets, uh, mostly, right? Not 100%, but mostly, Got it. right? Because we are, and then the reason for this is like this, right? We are working very, very closely with these companies, right? Sometimes yeah. we know, uh, even before the founder knows, right. <laughs> technically, because we are in that journey, you know, I understand. many, 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 many times. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we see it coming sometimes faster than any external fund will ever able to know. Right. Even sometimes before the founder. Right. right. That, that we're just going basically, right? Yeah, because they're too uh, busy doing and it hence, and you're watching it and you're like, oh, yeah. that's going to speed up. Yes, exactly. So, you know, it has reached that inflection point. It has reached that yep. tipping point from where now it, it will, you know, go pretty fast. So we see it and, and you know, see it coming sooner than most of others, you know, outside what they're in the market, right? Yep. So initially the idea is to work with early stage companies, help them grow. That will multiply our capital very fast because initially, you know, to grow the revenue from 1x to 10x at an early stage is much much faster right uh, in that sense the, the journey yeah. can be pretty fast in that sense right so once the revenue grows the capital automatically grows as you can say the, the you know the revenue multiplier effect will start yeah. ticking in right so that gives a significant boost to our capital that's number one and number two since now we are working very well with these companies we know everything now doubling down on our bets is the the call the conviction would be way way higher than if we just going through the ppts and Right. making their decisions right? Right, right right so right now that's that's a policy that we continue to work with early stage companies double down on these companies uh you know uh with with the follow-on investments can i before i let you go this has been such a great conversation we'll have to do more of this before i let you go can you talk to me about india itself as an investment opportunity i feel like we could do an entire show on What's changed since you started your corporate career, went to Japan, worked in the United States and came back in the in the investment space? But like, let's just go forward from here. Maybe the next time we talk, we can go backwards because I think it's a fascinating conversation. What does the opportunity in India look like to you today and maybe contrast it a little bit, even with what it was like just like five or 10 years ago? The, the contrast here is that I think 10 years back, there was not, adequate capital right in india versus now that, that's the one big contrast right okay i'm thinking the startup space there, there were hard they're very very few vc funds etc right yep so now number one the, the capital is there the second thing is since we have given like 100 unicorns right uh, what has happened the lot of talent is now staying back in india what was happening right. 10 years back a lot of this talent was going out to find the lucrative jobs in, in Google's and the Microsoft of the world, right? <laughs> yeah, like to become their CEOs, the exactly. Context, Go ahead. <laughs> correct. Go ahead. Uh, so all of these guys have, have, you know, at one point of time, thought that India does not have enough opportunity and, right. and, and they moved out, right? Actually, you know, if, if I look at my career, you know, I decided to came back, uh, you know, for, from US, but uh, most of my colleagues did not came back, right? right? They came there and then they settled there, they, they took yep. a career, career there, right? Yep. Um, so I think it was uh, more like an emotional call to come back rather than an rational call Fair. at that point of time, you know, way back 15 years back. But I'm saying that was happening. Quite a lot, I think, ten years back, that people were going and finding jobs outside, right? Yeah. Versus now, where the top tier 
talent is staying back and then doing their own startups, right? Yeah. Because they have seen the success of 100 other unicorns, right? So talent is there. Uh, capital is also there, right? Uh, because now the domestic capital as well as international capital is, is flowing, you know, quite, quite a bit in India, right? So capital is there. So I think this is an amazing time for anyone, anyone who is looking to start up uh, or looking to uh, start a journey of entrepreneurship, it's it's a great time to to do that, in my opinion, right? I agree. Um, yeah. yeah, so so the, the, that's the... one more thing, just because you've you've kind of hit on something, and I want to ask you about it. You know, twenty years ago, and even fifteen years ago, when you came back, I think, and again, I'm I'm was not born and raised in India, so I don't know this, but I'm curious. Was there kind of like a cool factor as well? Do you know what I mean? Like, I've graduated from this great university in India, and now I'm going to go to Palo Alto and get a job at Apple or go work at Google. But there must have been a little bit of a cool factor, and I feel like yeah, in the last like seven years or so, that the cool thing to do now is just be like. Yeah, dude, I'm moving back to Delhi or I'm moving back to Mumbai or I'm moving back to Bangalore and I'm going to build something there. You're still going to work there kind of thing? Is that That's changed too, no? Absolutely, yes. That's what I'm saying. So when I was moving back to India, people said, what are you doing? Means, you know, who do that kind of stuff, right? <laughs> Basically, right? <laughs> so, what are you uh, thinking? <laughs> Correct. So you, you're absolutely right. Working uh, with, with Microsoft or Google was like, you know, as, as you have achieved everything in your life, you yeah, got yeah, a yeah. job with, with Microsoft, right? Versus now you're rightly said. Now, you know, someone says that I'm moving back or I'm not join, taking that offer from Google and then starting my own is now the cool thing. Uh, absolutely, you're right. It really is. It is. Absolutely, yes. Okay. Let's end on that. India is now the cool thing. Niraj Saxena, a managing partner at Xscale and Univision Fund. Thank you so much for doing this today. That was awesome. Thanks, Michael, for inviting me on the show. And, uh, you know, it, it's been great talking to you and share, sharing my experience. Thanks, Satan. 